What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Russell Westbrook is off to Houston. It's going to be scary. Not for us. James Harden just caught a body here in Los Angeles. And Westbrook is on the freeway. What's up, guys? Like this is broadcast. My name is Solomon Elite at Solomon Elite NBA on Twitter, joined by Adam Spolane. At Adam Spolane on yep. Twitter. How you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. It's we are. Late. We are. It is late. It is late. We are recording this on the jankiest of audio setups. We got one microphone, and we're keeping it in the middle of the table. We'll see how much it picks up. I'll figure out the rest in post. But how you doing, man? I'm good. It's uh, it's been quite a year so far. It has been quite a. You know, the last time I recorded a podcast with you was in that Las Vegas airport. Yeah. Five months ago, yeah, it's crazy. after the Westbrook trade. Actually, it, it might be almost exactly five months because that was, I think it was, what, July 12th? Yeah, yeah, it and was so July 12th. Are, December, it's almost December 10th, so we're almost it, at that five-month mark. It is crazy. It is crazy how much time has passed since that happened. Like, I think that was the last NBA trade actually made in the calendar year. I think you, there might have been one smaller one, but there hasn't been anything in a long, long time. It's wild when yeah. you think about it. Yeah, I, I can't even think of, like, even one salary dump or anything. I can't think of any trade mm-hmm. off the top of my head. So the Rockets lost a game by one point to the Sacramento Kings at home in a game that, frankly, this shouldn't have been, it, this shouldn't have been a contest. They were favored to win by 12. This, this Kings team is bad. Like, we all had high hopes for them coming into the season, but we all know now at this point of the season they're a bad team. And they well, let I'm this— I'm going to push back on that. Sacramento, they got off to a terrible start. But they're now, what, three games below 500, which has you right on the doorstep of the playoffs. They just won in Dallas last night, and they're starting to get some guys back. I think that it's a—listen, this is a game the Rockets obviously should have won, but this isn't like losing to the Knicks or Hawks or anything like that. This is is a game you should win, but it's not the worst loss in the world. But even if they they won this game by, like, three points or whatever, right, I still think they— this game was way too close. Like, like, and this game and the Suns game in particular. Like, I, I thought they should have won the past two games by a combined twenty points, and instead they won the last game by six points, and they they lost the game by one point. Like, that's that's really bad to me. Like, especially when you talk about it, this team's obviously trying to be contender, right? They're trying to they're trying to compete with the best of the best: the Lakers, the Bucks, the, the Clippers. The Lakers and Bucks are twenty one and three right now. The Rockets are like what something and eight. They are fifteen and eight now. Fifteen and eight. Like, Not that, great. That's not good enough. It's not bad, but it's not great. Yeah, it's you're, not. You're hoping for more. Sure, they're they're gonna win 50 games. They're gonna be a good team. They're gonna be probably a top what, four or five team in the Western Conference. They're still gonna be a good team, but for a team that has title aspirations, I'm not sure if the way they're playing right now, specifically defensively, is good enough. Like that last possession to me emblemized everything for them this season. They've been kind of an average team defensively. I, I don't take it so much as in the last possession because that's a hard sure it's it's a hard possession to it's a hard play to defend just because you know that whatever happens they're going to catch and shoot they're they're looking to do something immediately so you just don't want to be in that situation i think mike d'antoni brought this up uh when we talked to him after the game 
there was one there was at one point where I think they were up eleven and they gave up three straight open threes. Those those are the moments that that bother you more than anything else. And it's just that they haven't been able to put forty eight minutes together defensively enough. They've had some good defensive games. I thought this game they actually started out really well defensively. The the first four possessions, uh, Sacramento calls a timeout. Right. Uh, they hadn't scored in the game. They come out of the timeout and then they just start bombing threes. And yeah. that's that's the problem is that they just can't they can't string enough of it together they can't build on anything right now. Uh, but for me, I don't I'm not making judgments yet about anything that they're doing at this point in the year just because it's so early. You're trying to they're, they're I, a science I, experiment at this point. I'm gonna push back on that. It's early. Like we're 22 games and we've learned a lot about every team in the NBA so far. Like enough to where like. I'm, I, I think these concerns about their defense are legit. Like, they allowed 91 points through three quarters. Like, that's bad. Like, that's really bad. And, like, uh, the fourth quarter was just one bucket after another. It was basically sudden death. Like, that's, that's kind of that, that's kind of where I'm talking about. Like, I think like they should be – by the time they get to the fourth quarter, they should be up by 8 to 12 points against a team like this. And the fact that they're not doing that yet is a little bit of a concern to me. Like, I think they can still roster-wise get to a point where they're a contender. I don't think they're there yet. And I think even if with Eric Gordon, if Aaron Gordon comes back, Austin Rivers was obviously out tonight with illness. Tyson Chandler was obviously out tonight with the illness. Um, even if they get fully healthy, I don't think defensively they're good enough yet. And I, I, I think I'm, I don't know what it's going to take. I, obviously, we've speculated on this podcast the kind of additions that are going to be available mid-season, but I don't know. Like. It, until they get that kind of a player, like that one more def- like B plus defender, uh, that's ideally has some size. It's gonna be a, it's gonna be really hard for me to buy into this team. The whole thing that I, I said about it being early and they're kind of an experiment, and you're just trying to you know see if all the pieces mesh together. The problem with that thinking what I just said is that the team is a team that's very similar to them as the Lakers and the Lakers are flying and they seem to have no such growing pains with one another. Uh, listen, they've got guys out. Gordon is a huge part of this team. He's not playing. Uh, you give them a little bit of a pass today because they didn't have Rivers, and Rivers is, is just an absolutely huge part of what they do uh, defensively. So Mike D'Antoni really only played seven guys. That's not easy for a team like this, uh, especially when you're, you're they're relying on guys that are, frankly, unreliable. I mean, Ben McLemore has bounced around from team to team for a while. Gary Clark is still very, very young, and he gave them some good minutes. But, you know, you got to expect a few breakdowns here and there uh, while they have some guys out because – Ben McLemore is not going to play 33 minutes in April and May. And he shouldn't have to. And, and Gary Clark's not going to play 21 minutes in April and May. You, yeah. don't, you hope, I mean, you hope that your guys are back and you're healthy and you're at full strength. So I'm going to wait to judge them uh, for a bit because I just want to see how it all looks. Uh, we have seen improvement. I think that's all you're looking for right now. You're looking to see improvement from certain spots, and I think you've seen improvement from opening night to tonight. I guess one positive you can take away from this game is they've kind of figured out the Harden traps in that when Westbrook catches he catches it, he's just going to go. Like, no no wasted time, just go. Uh, it, that's the closest thing to a cut as you're going to get in the NBA. Uh, ideally, he should be cutting, but, like, if you're not cutting, that's the closest. Like, that's, that's pretty good. Like, just be on the move right away. And the Kings have weak rim protection, so Westbrook was just scoring at the rim at will. The the tough thing is, you mentioned this to me before that we started recording, is that when it, when a team has elite rim protection, like let's just say Rudy Gobert, like Westbrook's not going to be able to score in that kind of a situation. He's probably going to have to pass to someone like Clint Capella or, an, or a shooter, 
And that kind of a possession can be a turnover. And a lot of their possessions have been turnovers when defense collapse like that. And that's that kind of brings us back to the Westbrook trade. Uh, it's kind of fitting that we're five months we're five months out from the podcast we recorded because these were kind of the issues we were raising that night. You know whether or not the shooting would be a real issue for the Rockets and the spacing, the floor spacing, particularly would that be a concern? And we've seen it a bunch of times already. Like their teams are just doubling Harden every chance they get. Sometimes even without a screen, they're just doubling. Um, and you'll see uh, the help guy kind of like shift in his direction, like shade his in his direction, and be ready for just the slightest bit of opportunity to 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 close in on that double. You saw a possession tonight where Harden was in the corner and that double came quick, and he just he tried to split the double team and he turned the ball over. Like that kind of stuff is gonna come up in the postseason. Like that, there's no way teams aren't looking like looking at this as a blueprint to defend the Rockets. Yeah, no question. And the shooting is a problem, and we always knew it was gonna be a problem. But you just mentioned this. You saw Westbrook start to get to the rim a little bit more, and yeah. at least try and make plays that way. And I felt I thought he looked just really confident in this game. And yeah, it's gonna be hard to just attack the rim at will, and, and you're gonna have to deal with rim protectors. But I think that as he gets more comfortable with the guys that are around him, and they kind of understand what he's looking to do, then I think that he can make plays for other guys. And I think that he'll be able to create a lot of open shots. I mean, when Eric Gordon comes back, and he's on the floor, and Westbrook is driving to the rim, and there's openings for him, and he's looking around, and he sees open guys on the perimeter. It's gonna be Eric Gordon taking those shots a lot of the time, and so I think that's gonna help them a lot. Um, I thought today, result aside, I thought today was a positive just in the way that Westbrook played. Yeah, and you're starting to see the past few games, they're offensively, they're putting more of a force on, on Westbrook. They're, they're giving him the, the ball to start games uh, more often than not. Uh, Harden's deferring, and Westbrook gets in a better rhythm. I think that is, like, the rhythm stuff is real with Westbrook. Like, he needs to, from the start of the game, he needs to be in a rhythm attacking the attacking the basket and being ready to make quick decisions, frankly. Sometimes you see a delay in his decision-making when he's attacking the rim or, or you know, a bad decision because he's he just has a limited amount of possessions to work with, so he forces something, right? And I think that's worked out positively for the Rockets in terms of Westbrook getting involved. I think I think also the finger thing like you you've seen the tape go away from his hand I think that's that's been an that's been a reason for him starting to play better uh, I thought that finger was a that, that was a thing like he even talked about it with us like that that was a thing that was bothering him uh, going to the basket uh, attacking and making passes like that you know when you're when you have a finger that's li- that's literally taped to another finger it's just hard mm-hmm. it's just hard to play basketball that way um, so I think that's you know him getting healthy is obviously helps. Let's talk about the, the, the Westbrook trade for a second because I, I I really want to talk about this one more time with you because I remember that night. I think we differed a little bit in how we thought about it. In that you understood the trade because I went back and I listened to it. And I think you you understood the trade in that the Rockets were getting younger and this was a concerted effort to make the team younger. Uh, you weren't necessarily saying that the Rockets were becoming a better basketball team by this trade. But you understood it, the rationale behind giving up all those picks and the pick swaps, because in the end, in maybe it may not be worth it this season, but you're saying in three or four seasons it'll pay off. I think, I think even at the, at the time, I thought like the fit was a concern to me. The defense that Chris Paul brought night in, night out, you don't get that from Westbrook. 
the shooting, obviously. Your teams can't do this with Chris Paul. Or they just can't. Like, they weren't doing it. The reason, uh, you know, people talk about how this double team strategy has just come out of nowhere. It hasn't come out of nowhere. It's come, it's come out of, of uh, roster construction. It's come out of the way uh, the Rockets are built this season as opposed to past seasons. Like, the teams can afford to do this now, and they couldn't afford to last season because there was always four, four spacing options on the court at all times with Harden. Uh, Capella was the dive guy, and they had three other shooters. And and Harden had unlimited amount of space to work with. Now he doesn't have that space. You know that that room is shrunk. And I think you're you're seeing how Chris Paul's performed this season. He's had a bounce back year. All his percentages are back are back up. Three point shooting, his his finishing at the rim is is back up. He's he's drawing more fouls again. He's making quicker decisions. Uh, I think he's rehabbed from that hamstring, frankly. Like, I thought that was a big thing last year that people didn't talk enough about. Like, he was coming off a hamstring that summer, and I thought, you know, he wasn't 100% to start the year, and I thought I thought his play showed it. And this season, he looks healthy. He looks, frankly, he looks like the better player between the two. And that may be controversial to say, but I don't think it's controversial. You put their numbers side by side, I think Chris Paul is clearly the more efficient player, and we already know he's a better defender. And that's kind of why I think Chris Paul, if Chris Paul is, is clearly the better player this season, this trade has another dyna- like dynamic in terms of evaluation that we need to consider in that this may not be a wash this season. And in future seasons, sure, Westbrook may come out in the, in the, in the better, but how, how much better is he going to be to justify losing a year of Harden's prime? It's, it's fair. Uh, I, I don't. Uh, the, the difference, though, for me with Chris Paul is that he's only playing 31 minutes. And I think the minutes thing matters a lot. And Westbrook doesn't really have those same types of minutes restrictions. Um, let's see. Tonight he played 30, played 36 a day, and he was a little bit of foul trouble. Um, so I think that that's the big key is just – the minute situation and that you don't have to necessarily nurse Chris Paul the way that you have to nurse, you don't have to nurse Westbrook. I think the same way that you nurse Chris Paul a little bit. Uh, the basketball fit here, it's odd. It, it's, it's just going to be, it's just going to be hard to, to figure out, I think for a little bit. And, and Westbrook's got to change the way that he plays. Um, but if it's a wash between the two this season, I still think I, I understood, I understood the trade at the time. I understand the trade now. Would I have made it? I still don't know if I would have made it. Yeah, you know, that, that's the thing. And In fact, that was one of the questions I asked you. I think you said the same exact yeah, thing. I'm not I, sure. If you and and made I still it, yeah. and I still can't answer yeah. whether or not I would have done it, just because I knew what they had with Chris Paul. I knew exactly yeah. what the team was going to be. I knew how they were going to look. And listen, we've seen how it looks right now. It doesn't mean it's going to look the exact same way once you get to April and May. I mean, it could look very, very different. Uh, it could fail. It could absolutely fail. Um, but here the question is, would they have been good enough to beat the Lakers or Clippers or whoever else with Chris Paul? The team that they had built the last couple of years, was that team going to be good enough? I think that they saw it and they said, no, we probably aren't good enough. We've probably hit our ceiling, even though the one team that we can't get past is the best team ever, maybe, and that team's gone now. So I think that they said, you know what, Chris Paul's going to be another year older. You don't know how he's going to react. You just don't. You don't know how a guy's going to react at 34 years old. And we're seeing it right now. I mean, listen, he's played really well, but it's December 9th. We've got a yeah. long way to go in the season. You know, you're through 20-something games. you still got another 50-some-odd games to go. 
and that's something that Harden said after the Suns the Suns win, where uh, he said it's not going to be a twenty twenty five game thing. It's this is going to be a full season thing in terms of the growing pains with Westbrook, and I certainly understand that. And let me let me add to that too because we were talking to Austin Rivers before the game Saturday, sure. And and that was one of the things he said is like, who cares how it looks now? Who cares? It does not. What happens in the regular season does not matter. What's going to matter is what happens in April, what happens in May, what happens in June. So they could go out and be terrible the rest of the regular season, but as long as they're in the playoffs, who cares? And they, they could go and finish first in the West and just go on a huge tear. If they lose early in the playoffs, then none of it matters. So it's all going to be about how it looks into the playoffs, and, and I think that they're just going to they have to build towards that and get better and better and better. And I think you would say that they're a better basketball team now than they were, what, 20 two games ago, which is all that matters right now. All right, Adam, let's take a quick break to talk about our great sponsors at Harry's. Looking for a great gift for someone in your life? Now I'm going to share a little secret with you. Every guy on the planet gets socks, wallets, t-shirts, you know, the usual. And what ends up happening is we get it. We wear it in front of you to show that we appreciate it. And it ends up in a closet somewhere. We don't really wear it for the rest of the year. So if you're going to get us something, get us something practical like Harry's razors that we're actually going to use every day. Listeners of this show can get $5 off any Harry's shave set by heading to harrys.com slash blue wire. Free shipping ends on December 16th, so act now. It's a great deal for you and for him. Holiday sets start at just $20 that's within secret Santa limits. And Harry's blade refills are just as low as $2 each, so your guy will save money over time. It comes ready to gift in a handsome holiday gift box, and your gift gives back. 1% of each sale will be donated to charitable organizations. Isn't that awesome? That's pretty cool. As a special offer for fans of this show, we partnered with Harry's Razors to give you $5 off any shave set, including their limited edition holiday sets when you go to harrys.com slash blue wire. Plus, you'll get free shipping. Each Harry's shaving set comes with a weighted handle with option to engrave, five blade razor cartridges, foaming shave gel for a rich lather, travel cover to protect your blades, packaged in a handsome holiday gift box. Free shipping ends on December 16th, so act now. Just go to harrys.com slash blue wire. That's harrys.com slash blue wire. And going back to, you know, April, May, June, I, I really think last season after game six, like that left us, like leaving the Toyota Center, you felt like there was going to be major change. You just felt that. Because, you know, obviously no KD. It was a bad loss. It was, it, a, it it, was an it, awful loss. It's, it was. it's the worst loss that they have had, I don't know, well, obviously the, the Spurs series was obviously really bad. And then if you go back before that, maybe the Utah game seven loss in 2007, those might be the two worst losses that they've had since the championship years. And obviously they made some changes. I don't think that they went into the offseason thinking that they were going to trade Chris Paul, but it happened. And you go from there. And that was a game where, I'm not sure if people remember, Chris Paul played well that game. He was great in that game. He was the best player. Yeah. And they couldn't win that game. Like, I, I thought, like, that was, it felt like, like their need. I'm not sure if I would have necessarily advised the Rockets to make major change, but I certainly would have understood if, they, if that was the rationale coming out of that game. And they certainly went big fish hunting right afterwards. I mean, they went after Jimmy Butler to start the summer. I mean, people forget about that. Like, that was their original plan. They wanted to get Jimmy Butler and add on to this team. And when that kind of fell through the cracks, um, there was a lot of pressure from outside that, you know, perhaps the Rockets aren't good enough with this core. 
and they need to make another major change. And they went out and made the Westbrook trade. Well, the, the unanswered question is what happens if Kawhi Leonard stays in Toronto? What happens if he goes to the Lakers? Or what happens if Oklahoma City and the Clippers can't agree to that trade? Then what happens? And the answer is probably Chris Paul stays here. And then they just essentially run back the same team. So they made changes because Oklahoma City made changes. That's basically what happened. I don't. I think that Oklahoma City was content with just going back with Paul George and, and Russell Westbrook another season. Actually, Sam Presti basically said that. He said that on, on Woj's podcast last week where you know, they were going to probably go back with the same team. But as soon as Paul George left, there was really, you know, for, for Westbrook, there was no reason for him to stay because they were certainly going to be in rebuild mode. And it just happened to work out where the Rockets had the contract to make the trade work. And they, had, and they had the assets, too. Yeah. Um, so let's go get some news. Uh, I, I think this is the last time I'm going to talk about this trade for a couple, at least a couple months. Uh, I want to come back and evaluate it later. But well, would you have done it? Now that you have 23 games, would you have made the trade? No. Okay. No. I, I think even at the time, I, I, just, I still felt Chris Paul was a better player. And even if he aged poorly, I, I, I like the initial, like, I like prioritizing Harden's prime. Uh, first and foremost, and then worrying about the rest later. Uh, and I think that, that salary becomes easier to dump if Hart, if Chris Paul comes up, comes back and has a bounce-back season. It becomes easier to dump uh, well, what, well, two more years of Chris Paul as opposed to three more years. Well, let's of see if Westbrook. Oklahoma City can trade him because for everything that you've heard, they have not. nobody seems to be all that interested in trading for Chris Paul. And this is after he's playing well in one fewer year on the contract. So We will I, see. I, I, don't know, I don't know if it's possible to trade Chris Paul at this point. Yeah, that, that's an open question, too. That's an open question, too. Let's go on and get to some news. Uh, let's talk about, first, uh, Kelly Eco reported, uh, I think, in a combined column with Shams Charania um, this morning that the Rockets are open to trading future draft picks uh, for possibly a wing player to improve the roster this season. And it looks like they're, they're going to need to because, uh, as we mentioned, the de- their defense, I still don't think it's rock solid yet. My question is how how they put together the salaries to do so. So obviously you have Gerald Green, you have Nene, you have uh, Gary Clark, Isaiah Hardenstein, and I guess you can throw in Ben Mac- Ben McLemore. That gets you to like ten to twelve million dollars. I don't think it gets you that high. Yeah, I, 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 I'm I'm doing rough math in my head. Like it, it's it, it's not. I'm that's my question. How they get to that salary number and who in that kind of a range? You know, when you max out all your guys in terms of money. Who in that kind of a range is available to be had? Because it's tough. A lot of teams are going to want the players that the Rockets are chasing. Like, obviously, Iguodala is option A, B, and C, right? Like, that's that's the prime available player that everybody wants this season. But, again, everybody wants him this season. The Rockets may not have the opportunity to land him in a buyout market kind of situation. Somebody might trade for him before they get to that point. And you look at the kind of players that are available after that, I mean, I guess you can look at the New York and look at some of their players. That, you know, Bobby Board is Hodge Gibson's a guy that I think a lot of people are interested in. Uh, and I, I think um, Jackson Gatlin mentioned on, on a podcast a couple weeks ago uh, with me. That's, uh, that's obviously intriguing. But I'm not sure if there is a player after Iguodala, other than maybe Marcus Morris is someone that I like, that, that's available to be had. Um, that significantly shifts Houston's defense from what is it? Top, it's 15 right now to, like, top 10 to 5. I'm not sure if there's a player that to be had that helps Houston get to that other level defensively. I mean, I just don't even think it's worth talking about because they don't have the money. They don't have the contracts to make anything work. I mean, they have they have five players that make eight million. They have five players that make more than $4 million. That's it. They have the five players. So unless you're going to break up those five, 
with Westbrook, Harden, Capella, Gordon, and Tucker, there's really nothing that they can do. Because so, they're not trading. House is at 3-5. They're not trading him. Yeah. Um, then you have Nene at 2-5. Austin Rivers is at 2.1. They're not going to trade him. Macklemore is at 2 million. Sepalosha is at 1-6. Gerald Green's at 1-6. Tyson Chandler's at 1-6. Hartenstein's at 1-4. Michael Frazier is at, well, he's at 2 well, That doesn't really count. Gary Clark's at 1-4. So they could stack all those guys, and you're still not going to get to a number that gets you Marcus Morris, or it gets you anyone in that $10 million range. The guys that you're talking about that they can get are guys that are basically on rookie contracts at this point, or minimum type guys. That's, that's really all that they're looking at at this point. You know, if you want names, because I, I did go through it a little bit today, like Marco Bellinelli is a guy who makes 5'8". I mean, again, he's, a, he's not going to help your defense, yeah. but he, he's at least a shooter, and he's can play and he can play in big spots. I mean, those are the type of guys that you're looking at right now at this point. Uh, there was him. Let me let me find some of the other. I basically named three guys earlier in the day, uh, and there's just not there's just not much there. Jay Crowder is a guy. I think he's at seven something. You can probably make that work. Davis Bertans doesn't make a lot of money. Those are those are the type of guys that you're looking at. Again, they those guys have holes. I think Crowder is probably be the guy that you would want out of the three because of the defense. But there's just not a lot out there, and that's kind of – we talked about this uh, in July. That was kind of the point of Amon Shumpert was that he was a guy that you could sign to bird rights and you could give him that $10 million contract and, and, and find a way to move off of it. And I, I just still – obviously they didn't do it kind of because of the luxury tax, but that, that would have been – that's the way to get the team better, and they didn't take advantage of that. Yeah, uh, that could definitely come back to haunt them in the end. And I think they did have a standing offer with Iman, but even that standing offer didn't put them above the luxury tax. And it, it was clear that Iman was never going to take it. Yeah, it's it's going to be tough to improve the roster. You're looking at pretty much buyout. Yeah, you, you, that's the only thing they can do is the buyout market. You're crossing your fingers and hoping that the buyout market is fruitful this year. And even if it's fruitful, that they'll, they'll pick you. Which is two big dominoes, yeah. right? Like, you, like these these guys are going to be highly sought after, and um, it's going to be really tough for the Rockets to acquire that kind of, that kind of a player. And even if they're willing to trade multiple draft picks, again, the, the the real question here is the salary. How do they make it work? And I don't I don't know. I, I we've we've looked at it for ten different ways. It's hard to combine salary to get to a kind of number that adds you a difference a difference maker. They talked about the buyout market last year and. Uh, obviously, they got Rivers and, and Kenneth Fareed, but that was early in the year. Once buyout market really got into gear after the deadline, they didn't get anybody. <laughs> they were they were completely left out in the cold. They missed out on on Wayne Ellington. They missed out on Marquise Morris. They missed out on everybody. So there's no guarantee that that the buyout market's gonna gonna net you anything. Um, so they're in a tough spot. I mean, they, they are when you have when you don't have anybody else aside from five guys making more than four million dollars. It's just not a whole lot you can do. You're kind of stuck. So, I mean, really, you're starting to get into, do you trade Clint Capella? And the answer for me would be no. So. Yeah, you, you can't trade Clint yeah. Capella. Um, yeah, um, let's talk about this, this, this odd story with the Rockets protesting the Spurs' loss. Uh, it's not odd in that they did it because I, I maintain that if there's an opportunity for the Rockets to get a competitive advantage— they will take it, no matter what. Like, no matter if it makes them look bad PR-wise, no matter if, if, if it makes them look whiny, if it makes them look like sore losers, they don't care. They do not care how they look. They care about winning games and trying to win a championship. And to, to me, it was clear that they, they were going to protest this. Like, the, the, the question wasn't, 
whether they, whether or not they would, pro, they would protest this. What, the question was whether or not they'd get anything from it. And it looks like today the NBA ruled that they're not going to get anything. The, the, the officials involved has been disciplined, quote unquote disciplined. Yeah, no, nobody really knows what that means, but they're not going. They're not going to replay the game. They're not going to replay the last seven minutes, seven and a half minutes. They're not going to. Um, they're not going to do anything uh, to appease the Rockets and try to get that win back for them. I, I, I realize that San Antonio game was a bad loss, but this is what the Rockets were going to do. Like, I, and they, even if this had like a one percent chance of working out, they, I just felt like they were always going to protest this game. They were. It's what you do. I mean, you see it with the Players Association. I, I don't know if it necessarily happens as much in basketball, but in baseball, when there's any sort of a suspension, the Players Association is going to appeal it just because that's what you do. You appeal it. So they filed the protest to file the protest. I think, if anything, it started a conversation about what to do in these types of situations. Uh, and, and I think that's probably what will be the legacy of the protest is that they at least get a conversation going about when there is an obvious call like this, and especially with a, you know, a clear X or Y type result where it's a made basket or it's not a made basket, uh, you should be able to go to the monitors to at least check on that. And hopefully that's what this results in, that something happens with this. And I, have, I had no problem with them protesting. Uh, obviously, you kind of knew that because I think there were some reports after the game uh, last Tuesday that the Rockets thought that the league would jump in and, and do something before the protest. And you knew as soon as the league didn't do anything that the protest wasn't going to get anything done. So, you know, it is what it is. They, they were, I don't think they had any, any thinking that when they filed the protest that anything would happen. So, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and read you uh, James Caper's statement post game. Cause to me, this was complete and utter bull. Uh, this statement, like, here, I'm going to read it, and you guys be the judge. All right, when the play happened, James Harden goes in for a dunk, and then the ball appears to, for, to us to pop back up through the net. When that happens, that is basket interference. To have a successful field goal, it must clear the net. We have since come in here and looked at the play. He dunked it so hard that the net carried it back over a rim a second time, so it in fact did clear the net and should have been a successful field goal. As to uh, could the play have been reviewed, it is reviewable matter, but... You have a window of 30 seconds to challenge the play during the timeout that he had, and while they were protesting the call, trying to get clarification on it, that window passed, so therefore it elapsed, and they were not able to do it. So to me, I read this statement, and I'm just like, this is, he's just lying. Like, he's just, like, this was not called a basketball, basket interference. Like, you go back and look at the playbook, this was, like, it was just James Harden missed dunk. No call, like, watch the game. There, was no, there wasn't a whistle. There wasn't anything. Like, it was just, they thought it didn't count. They thought the ball didn't go through the hoop, and it was a play on. And when you go back and look, look, so they say that Mike D'Antoni doesn't challenge the call. Well, he calls timeout right away. What other reason would he be calling timeout right away? They're up 13, seven and a half minutes to go. Well, he didn't call timeout right away because... Um, it was a they're, they're still playing. Yeah, yeah, it's a play on, and they didn't have the ball, so yeah. you couldn't do that. I, I, I don't know. I, there was a stoppage at some point, and because that's the other. It went out of bounds. That's yeah, what it was. Because yeah, that, and that's the other thing is, is that you can't just like stop play to challenge something. Yeah. Uh, even if you have the ball, you can't do that. It, it, the the challenge system. I like it. I'm for it. I think it, it was a good idea for them to do. There's still some issues with it. I mean, you still there's still some things that you kind of have to figure out because right now the only time that you can really challenge is on a call. And 
because there was there wasn't really a call made on that play you couldn't really there was nothing to really challenge so the whole thing was awkward obviously the explanation from James Capers didn't make a whole lot of sense uh especially when that's you, being nice especially when you compare it to what Mike D'Antoni said after the game so yeah. I think everyone was just kind of caught, and they didn't really know what to do. They didn't really know what to say. Uh, it's unfortunate because James Capers is a good official. I mean, he's he's a finals ref. He's been he's now with all the retirements that they've had. He's probably one of the uh, most experienced refs that they have in the entire league. Um, so it happened. You move on from it, um, and you try and make sure that it never happens again. Like that's the that's the big key is that making sure that something like that doesn't ever happen. Yeah. And to be clear, like nobody here is blame- is saying that this is the reason why they lost. Like they they had seven. Oh, yeah, they, the last they were so defense. bad on defense that they had they seven. Bad on offense, when you when you yeah. blow a big, you're bad everywhere. And they were they were bad everywhere at the end of the game. They got beat. They should have they should have never come to that. But that's the position that they're in. Yeah, and let's just say let's just say uh, there wasn't enough time to cap- catch up in regulation. Well, you had two overtime periods to beat a bad Spurs team. Right, like yeah. you, like you had you had two overtime periods to correct this, and enough time. In my opinion, enough time had passed for you to for you to get over it, and they didn't get over it. But yeah, um, that aside, this was a bizarre explanation from James Capers, and I I I agree with you. I'm I'm for the challenge too. I I think it's a it's an admirable system. Obviously, they still need to tweak it, correct some things, uh, get the officials used to understanding this review window of 30 seconds because there was a me- there was a mess up in. Actually, another game that the Rockets played against the Clippers where Doc Rivers called a timeout, 30-second window expired, and they didn't get to challenge. But apparently, they still lost their timeout, and they weren't allowed to call timeout later on the game. So the officials are still messing this up. It's going to take a while for all parties to get used to this. And there are still situations where it's unclear whether or not you should challenge. The Rockets apparently have somebody uh, on their bench with a tablet out checking and... um, Mike Daniels is going to look over, and that guy has to be like one hundred, like two thousand percent sure whether or not it's a correct call to challenge. You almost and listen. You have challenge systems in sport. You have challenge system in tennis. In tennis, you have to you have to make your challenge immediately. Yeah, and it's it's a lot it's a lot quicker and it's very efficient. In baseball, they basically get as long as they want. You know, they the umpire will stand up and hold up his hand to stop play, while you have somebody on the phone talking to somebody in the replay room trying to trying to decide whether or not they, you want to challenge. In in the NFL, uh, you, you get until the next play begins. It's just it's tough in basketball, and I think you almost have to to say, hey, don't don't even worry about the replays. If you want to challenge something, you got to do it on the spot. And I think that might be the best way to do this, to streamline it. Now, hey, it's going to result in a lot of mistakes, but that, to me that might be the best way going forward to say, hey, if you don't like something, then you can't rely on, on replays. You just got to go challenge because you can't hold up the game and you can't rely on the replays. I don't know. That, to me, might be what they have to start doing. Yeah, and in this specific situation, like, I don't even think it warranted a challenge. Like, it was a made field goal. Yeah. Like, it was, it was a made field like, I'm, I'm talking about the challenge system on a whole. On a normal, yeah, on a, on a normal play, right, yeah. Um, and apparently all the analytics people say that a two-point play is a two-point play, so it doesn't really matter when you challenge. In my opinion, there's still a human element to that. Like, I still think a challenge at the end of the game has a little bit more value uh, in that it's a little bit more decisive in, in, in how, it, how a game goes. And I think that teams are a little bit more wary to, to challenge at the end of a game because they don't want to lose a timeout. That's true. And, and so if you're holding your timeouts, if you're holding your challenge to the fourth quarter, you challenge something and 
and, and you lose you lose that timeout, and you might need that timeout later. That's why I almost think it's better to use the challenge early in the game. Get it out of the way. Um, and again, it depends on the call. So it, it all it's all relative. On you saw D'Antoni challenge a three pointer today. That would have been helpful in this game. I mean, those three points, possibly four points, uh, could have been the difference in this game. I and mean, they had what four points taken off. They had points taken off the board because of the challenges today. And yeah, they lost today by a point. And ironically, the official in Secaucus was not none other than James Capers himself. Yeah, uh, yeah it was, he was one of them. He wasn't the only one. There's multiple guys in there, so I don't know if he was like yeah, the guy sure. in the he was looking at the plays. But yeah, but it's still funny. It's still funny. Um, yeah, I did. I, I think like, and there's also like. There's also when you can use it, and like there's all there's a debate whether or not you should use it when you lose points, or whether or not it's a key foul on one of your best players, and you don't want your your player to get into foul trouble. And the, and and for the most part, I feel like Mike D'Antoni has tended to bias towards that more, especially when it's a foul on Harden. He'll he'll be quick to challenge that. Yeah, it's interesting. It, it, there's still a lot to learn on all, on all elements. I I don't think they should get rid of this. I think they should add on to it. If anything, they should um, expand on to clarify. I should say. Uh, what what a challenge what a challenge encompasses what this thirty second window means what you can challenge expand on what you can challenge I, I would like that much more yeah I, I I'm in favor of the challenge I think they, this specific situation was just bizarre it was just bizarre not the reason the Rockets lost the game but uh, I definitely understood why they why they protested the loss yeah hundred percent. Um, all right, guys. Uh, that's it for the Ranch News Podcast. My name is Solomon Ali, at Solomon Ali NBA on Twitter. This is Adam Spolane, at Adam Spolane on Twitter. Make sure to give him a follow. Give us five stars on iTunes. Uh, subscribe to us on Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. And yeah, guys, good night.